0: You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast.
1: You're listening to episode 448 and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. Returning from episode 413 is Joe Mazzalotti. Welcome back, Joe.
0: Hi, Brittany. How are you?
1: Oh, surprise roof job. We were talking about this before the show. I got a text from my landlord last night. She's like, just so you know, your roof is going to be redone tomorrow. And so we just roll with it, right, Joe? Like That's just what
0: you do. I woke up with wet basement carpets.
1: So <laughs> We'll each
0: deal with our home repairs in an hour.
1: Love it. That sounds perfect to me. Well, it's so great to have you on the show. And I definitely wanted to start with a high note. We've talked a lot on this podcast about the Real SaaS Conference, but I'm interested to hear your experience, especially receiving your EPIC award. Can you give us kind of like the inside story?
0: Oh, my God. Andrew it totally fooled me into letting me know that I was winning an award. Rails Devs was a sponsor of Rails SaaS Conference. And he messaged me on Slack and was like, hey, can you put together like a two-minute advert that will record for promoting Rails Devs? I was like, yeah, no problem. Like, worked really hard on it, sent him a Slack message a few days before the conference and just never heard back from him. I'm like, okay, that's weird for Andrew. He's very responsive. And finally, it's the day I'm presenting, goes by, no word. And then the second day they're reading out an award for the conference. And at the end of it, I hear my name and I'm like, what, what is going on? I wasn't even like thinking that this could possibly be me. I was absolutely floored with just like how flawlessly Andrew pulled that off. And Nadia for reading and presenting it to me, extremely grateful for that. It was, absolutely amazing to be part of such an amazing community there and be recognized for something that I feel is really helping folks like get jobs in the community. So just happy feelings all around. I'm smiling ear to ear over here. (laughs) So great. Yeah.
1: Where is the award currently in your house?
0: If we had video on, you would see it right over my shoulder.
1: Oh, I love that so much. I have to laugh, Joe, because I knew about the award and I had gotten (laughs) to see it like ahead of time. And I remember like that second day, I remember mouthing to Andrew, like behind your back, like, is it award time? (laughs) It was so hard to not tell you, but I mean, again, so well-deserved, both you and Nate Hopkins, just really such a cool thing to bring to that conference. And I imagine it's something that he will do again.
0: Agreed. Congratulations to Nate, too. We chatted a little bit about it after and we're just like, what just happened? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But both of us are, you know, extremely grateful to Andrew and the conference for being able to present that and... I got to say, the award is a solid piece of crystal. I love it.
1: It is. Well, you are back because you were gearing up for your Turbo Native workshop, which had so much community support, a lot of excitement around it. So let's take a step back and just talk about why you're even conducting this workshop to begin with.
0: Really quick, for those that aren't aware, Turbo Native is a new part of the hotwire framework introduced in Rails 7 that lets you put your Rails app in a native or hybrid iOS and Android app with not that much code. It enables really small companies with small dev teams to get in the App Store or the Google Play Store and continue to ship updates to their Rails app that are like just automatically reflected inside of their native apps, their hybrid apps, because you're just presenting a web view at the end of the day. And that's extremely powerful. That's how Hey, that's how Basecamp, that's how a ton of other companies are making these fully featured native apps with, like I said, small dev teams. The problem is that there's not much, if any, resources available for this framework online. I know I'm doing a lot with it. There are some other folks that are just starting to dive into it. And other than that, if you wanted to get started, you have the demo app in the GitHub repo and then support forums. There's no documentation on how do I do this or how do I use the JavaScript bridge, for example outside of like my six-part blog series. So the goal with this workshop is to enable more folks to get their Rails app into the App Store just by attending this session. And I'm hoping that people will be able to leave this session, this three-hour interactive workshop with me, knowing enough to be dangerous, knowing enough that they'll be able to bridge the gap and Actually get something in the app store. You know, you're not going to be able to copy and paste the code and just say, boom, here's my name. We're good to go. You are gonna have to do some work, but you're going to have the resources and the tools that you need to make those changes and actually apply those updates to your app and get into the app store, which is the goal with all this.
1: That is so cool. I'm very curious, like who would be the ideal student for you? Is this someone who's very proficient at Rails already? Someone who's good at UI code design? What would be the goal for attending this workshop?
0: Yeah, ideal candidate right now is someone who is proficient in Rails. You don't need to be a super senior principal engineer. You need to know how to work around controllers and routes and rendering views and your authentication system. Those are the big ones. Maybe some API work. So pretty, I'd say some standard Rails app crud stuff. Ideally, you also have a little bit of iOS experience. So maybe you know a little bit of Swift. Maybe you used to work in objective C and understand how the view controllers work in iOS, or at least how iOS apps are structured. I think that for the latter, you don't absolutely need to have built an iOS app, but it will help. And what I'm doing for folks is giving them a link to a free course that's already available online from hackingwithswift.com, one of my favorite resources on Swift and essentially saying like, Hey, if you work through this, of course, if you work through most of this, you'll know enough that we can be talking the same language with Swift. We can know each what a view controller is versus a controller in Rails. We can know what how cookies work and stuff like that. And that'll be enough to get us going where we won't have to dive into, this is how you write a for loop in Swift. We can dive right into, here's how you integrate your Rails app with Turbo Native right off the bat.
1: That sounds really interesting in the fact that this is geared towards someone who has iOS experience as someone who currently is managing, you know, a mobile application out there. I'm curious your take on Mm -hmm. this. About 90 percent of our users use our iOS app and like Android is almost an annoyance. I know that kills my boyfriend, who's a very (laughs)
0: loyal Android user. But do you have any take on that split there? I don't know where this split came from, but It seems that most companies that I work with are looking for an iOS app now and they'll worry about an Android app later. And I think that's shown from market share of iOS versus Android users for the demographics of SaaS essentially that people build with Rails. And that obviously will change depending on different verticals that you pop into. But most of the folks that I'm working with are like, yeah, we have... (laughs) 80% of our mobile traffic or 90% of our mobile traffic is coming from Safari. We need an iOS app Android can follow. And I'm leaning into that with this workshop. Like I've done iOS for a number of years. I actually did iOS before I got into rails and this is my sweet spot. And I want to make sure that you can get into the app store. I'm not trying to get you on every platform just yet, but if you can figure out the iOS stuff with me in this workshop, maybe down the road, you can work with someone to get your Android app going or you'll know enough about Turbo in general to get your Android app into the Play Store.
1: I think that's a really smart way to look at it because both of them have their own unique processes in order to get them into the App Store. They're different enough that like... It's not a straight clone, of course. There are different languages that are supporting them. And so tackling iOS first gets you to that quick win and gets you really invested in mobile native. So that makes sense to me. So as students are coming into your workshop, Joe, like are they going to need to do some prep work before they get ready?
0: Yeah, I've sent out a link to a free tutorial that's online from hackingwithswift.com that walks someone through like zero to getting started in Swift. It works through the syntax, how different things are named, how files are structured, how to open Xcode, things like that that you need to get an app just running in the simulator. And that's the minimum requirement for this workshop. I don't want to have to dive into Swift syntax when, A, I'm not the best person to teach that, but also it's not the value of the course. The value of the course is porting your app to iOS, your Rails app to iOS, not learning the nitty gritty of the Swift code base.
1: Okay, so should they be bringing a Rails app that they want to port? Or is that something that you're going to structure for the students?
0: That is what I'm most excited about. I have a Rails repo and an iOS repo that has about six different Git tags, like different checkpoints throughout, that we're going to be building up through the course of the workshop together. So it starts off with a totally basic CRUD Rails app with Devise and a empty Xcode project. And then the next step is that we add Turbo Native to the iOS app and start hitting our local server. Then we add authentication. Then we work on the JavaScript bridge and add native buttons that do web stuff. And then we add a native screen and so on and so on. And each phase in this workshop, someone can just, if they like lose place or they have to go step out for a minute, they can just check out that git tag and they're running with where everyone else is in the workshop at the same time.
1: This episode is brought to you by HoneyBadger. Did you know that HoneyBadger status pages now come with incident management? As an engineering manager on a team who recently implemented an incident management process, I was super excited to hear this. Build confidence with a public status page that shows your live service status and incident history. The ability to bring your own domain is key here. Transparency inspires trust. When your next outage happens, communication is going to be key. Alert your users of issues early and keep them updated as each incident unfolds with incident management. Plus, if you have scheduled maintenance, you can keep your users informed as your team works through the window. Head on over to HoneyBadger.io to learn more. So, you know, I asked speakers of this, but I'm also going to ask someone who's running a workshop. Joe, do you plan on doing some live coding during this workshop?
0: We'll see after the first one. But for this one, I'm planning on this workshop being almost 75 percent live coding.
1: Oh, my God. You are so brave. (laughs) You know, (laughs) are you a live coding enthusiast? How did you arrive at this decision?
0: Yeah, I've paired with a lot of people and I've done a lot of lectures and I've done a lot of trying to teach people this type of stuff in the past. And what I've seen resonate the best and resonate the most and work the best is pairing. And pairing with 15 people doesn't work as well, in my opinion. Yeah, you can do mob pairing or mob programming. But what I really want, the value that I see, is someone putting their fingers to a keyboard and talking through what they're working on. And I think that has a benefit over a recorded structure. Because when you have a live audience, mistakes are actually kind of important. Kind of against what people say, oh, if I'm live coding, it has to be absolutely perfect. I encourage a few mistakes here or there. Maybe it's a typo, maybe it's mistyped method name, or we have to go read the docs together because it gives an insight into the coder's brain about how they work in practice, not how they work in theory. A lot of live coding sometimes is, oh, let me copy and paste this code snippet and wire these things up, or let me do a text expander and this is what's working on. When you're actually in there reading the docs on the left side of your screen and typing the code on the right, you really understand how the person is thinking and can then apply that to your own skills. And in my opinion, I think you learn a lot faster.
1: I completely agree. You know, we have this whole issue where people view Rails and anything associated with it as magic. (laughs) And if the code is just like rapidly printing across the screen, I think a lot of us just start to check out. Like we're not as invested. And to your point as well, Joe, if you misspell Turbo during the workshop, that just brings a humility to it. Obviously, you've typed that word a lot, but it just brings a personality to it. It's friendly. It kind of changes the pace. You can have a good laugh over it. I don't know. I'm a total agreement. It's just it's stressful to live code 75% of workshops. So I give you a
0: lot of kudos. I agree with everything that you're saying there. I will be very nervous on that day. And the more times I do it, the better I'll get at it. But what you touched on where it brings a humility to it, I couldn't agree more. I think that when you're typing out something... And everyone is kind of quiet. The ice hasn't been broken yet. You're just watching someone live code. And then someone raises their hand and they're like, uh, you didn't end that if statement. And everyone's like, oh, my God, thank you. I've been thinking that for the past half hour. <laughs> like, <laughs> it creates that organic back and forth with the audience that you don't get when you're doing recorded or copy and pasted code because they're involved. They feel like they're part of it. They feel like they helped in that tiniest bit. And they're going to definitely remember when they go write that code to close that if statement. That's for sure.
1: That's awesome. So how much of the overall class plan, you know, the execution is an experiment, as we've been talking about, or something that you've done before in other
0: venues? The workshop itself is brand new. I've never done a workshop structured like this for this big of a group. But the content and the code that I'm building is something that I've been building up over the past five plus years working with multiple clients. So, I am an expert in the code that I'm writing. I've written this code probably seven, eight times now, you know, and deployed it to the App Store for different people in various iterations. But the actual workshop and the structure of here are the live coding exercises, here are the take home exercises, here's how we're going to do breakaway sessions, that's all new to me. And what I think is pretty exciting about that is that I gave a pretty big discount to the first group, a session that when this podcast airs will be tomorrow, the 15th. I gave them a pretty big discount for, in return, offering feedback on the workshop. I'm hoping that I'll be able to get a lot of really solid feedback in, hey, this was too slow, this was too fast, this structure worked, this structure didn't work. So when I do host that second session in January, I will be able to have it much more nailed down, things will be buttoned up, and it'll be just a lot more smoother and easier to work through than the first time.
1: When you decided that you were going to put the workshop on, did you immediately know that you were going to do it remotely or did you consider in person at all?
0: Well, if you want to go way, way back, the first inkling of this workshop was supposed to be for RailsConf last year. Oh, yes. So I proposed doing this exact workshop at RailsConf in that three hour workshop window. I wasn't accepted, which is totally fine. I then posted it on Twitter and said, hey, this is what my proposal was. Would anyone else be interested in doing this? And I got a lot of people that were interested in it. And that was kind of the first inkling of okay, there's something here. People want to understand Turbo Native. They want to go to a workshop. What can I do with this? And, you know, that was what? May, right? So that's practically six months away. It took me to finally consolidate all this and create a curriculum and a rubric for all of this and figure out how I want to structure it. So I think looking back on it, I've been thinking about this for a really long time. And, To answer your question directly, remote versus in person, I would have loved to do this in person. That would have been so cool to have 50 people in the audience all typing on their laptops as I work through this. But I don't think that I'd be able to organize something in person that first time. I want to make sure that this is solid. I want to make sure all the kinks are worked out. And then maybe, you know, session two, session three, I can organize a bunch of people in Portland or, you know, somewhere and run a, in a really solid full day workshop.
1: I completely agree with you. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Just being able to be comfortable in your own home and be able to mm-hmm. manage that part of it as well. And yes, it's going to be a lot more accessible to people from around the world now, which as someone who wants to reach people, that is ideal. Now, Joe, is there anyone in the Ruby and Rails community that you look up to as an educator?
0: I got my start at Pivotal Labs back when they were doing mostly like pair programming and client work versus what they are now, which is kind of rolled up into more of a platform as a service. But back then, I really admired ThoughtBot and I really admired ThoughtBot's content in that they were able to find the exact question that I was looking for and dive really deep into it. One of the examples that I always go back to, it was called Factory Girl back then, but it was around Factory Bot. It's named now. And it was how to set up a fixture with a nested argument or like an association or something. And I would go back to that blog post multiple times a month because I had forgotten how to do it. I knew that I could go to ThoughtBot for very detailed answers of very specific questions. And yeah, a lot of blogs are doing that. But what I admire the most about ThoughtBot is that they kind of give you their approach to things. They give you kind of the Rails way of thinking about things, but in their own perspective of Here's how we do it at Thoughtbot. Here's the gems that we use, the gems that we built, and here's how it works for us. But here's also this alternative way that might be more generic or doesn't need a gem or something. Here's the code that you need. And I've always loved how they've taken a very strong stance on everything, as in, this is the way we do it. It might be wrong, it might be right, but it's our way. And they dive really deep. And I've tried to replicate that with all of my content where I say, Hey, this is how I use the JavaScript bridge in TurboNative, or this is how I use webhooks. You might find a different way, but this is what I've found that works, and these are the gems that I use. So I really have been trying to model everything after that, but I definitely got to give a big shout out to Evil Martian's blog. That has been up and coming for a long time now, and it's awesome to see the redesign landed a few weeks ago, and it's just, there's so much good, lengthy, meaty content on it, and they're getting new contributors to it every day, which just a lot of really good stuff on there too.
1: I am a massive fan of both Evil Martians and ThoughtBot. I couldn't agree with you more. I think on the ThoughtBot front, they are opinionated but kind. And it is Mm -hmm. unbelievable how their content stands up. There are times that I'm Googling and I'll come across a ThoughtBot blog from maybe seven years ago. And sure, Mm -hmm. you know, things get updated and whatnot. But the overall thought process behind it, it's pretty on brand for them. It's really good in that way. I feel that their content really stands up against time. And then, yes, Evil Martians, they're just incredible people. They've been going to all these conferences and speaking and like mm-hmm. just improving and putting out so much tooling. They are an absolutely great group as well. Okay, so Joe, listeners that are listening that are very interested in TurboNative, how can they get enrolled in the
0: workshop? So as of this morning, you can head to turbonativeworkshop.com and that will have the signup form for the next session. It will let you know when the next session is, how much it's gonna cost, the time slots that I'm proposing and all the details on the curriculum, the rubric, all that good stuff you'll be able to find there.
1: This episode is also brought to you by Scout APM. Scout is an industry leader in application performance monitoring. This low overhead tool is designed to help Ruby developers find and fix performance issues. Scout's intuitive UI and tracing logic ties bottlenecks to specific lines of code and allows you to quickly pinpoint and resolve issues like N plus one queries, slow database queries, memory bloat, and more. Scout's unlimited seats and applications allow teams to collaborate without additional costs and makes it easy for any member of your team to become a performance pro. See for yourself why developers worldwide call Scout their best friend with a free 14-day trial, no credit card needed. As a special offer for Ruby on Rails listeners... Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash ruby on Rails. So you've invested a lot into Turbo Native so far, and I'm curious, how do you feel about the overall project within mm-hmm. Rails? Is it getting a lot of support? It's obviously not getting a ton of education attention yet, but how about in terms of contributions and features?
0: It's a great question because... Turbo iOS and Turbo Android not too long ago diverged a fair amount, and Turbo Android has a whole lot more basic features built into it that you have to do yourself on Turbo iOS. And it's something that Basecamp is aware of and the maintainers are aware of, and trying to backport a bunch of those features into iOS. And until that gets there, a lot of this education needs to be out there to get people familiar with it and so they can use it in their own apps i was recently given commit access to turbo ios so i am super excited to start actually contributing to that code base as not only a contributor but also a maintainer wow Um, joe
1: that's huge news
0: so now with maintainer access i'm really looking forward to bringing in a lot of the like i said basic functionality that android has that ios is kind of lacking behind some of those things are not going to make a lot of sense if i talk about them now because you have to be kind of deep in the turbo native World to understand. But what it means for someone is that it's going to be less boilerplate for you and your code base and more that's relied on from the framework, which I think is really important, especially as Turbo Native is pushed off of Rails as convention over configuration. We want to have as much in the framework as we possibly can so we can work on our business logic. And looking at that business logic, keeping as much on the Rails server and putting more power on the server and let the client do under the display and the generic stuff is really where we can find that sweet spot. And that only brings us back to feature parity with Android effectively. (laughs) That still leaves a ton of ideas that we could build into the framework to make it even easier to get an app deployed. I work with Chris Oliver on the Jumpstart Pro template where you could have a working iOS app that hits your Jumpstart Pro or whatever backend Rails server in like an hour. What if all of that was already integrated into the framework that is open source and public and for free? And yeah, we've made a lot of opinionated decisions on that that work best with Jumpstart. But what is the generic approach and what does that solve? Or someone can do Rails new. What about Turbo Native new or Turbo iOS new? Where are those features? That's the kind of stuff that I'm looking forward to. My goal with Turbo Native is that someone can have an iOS app or an Android app without any iOS experience. That is a really, really lofty goal because eventually you're going to have to to open Xcode in some way. But how much can we put into convention over configuration to have someone type a command out and then deploy to the app store by maybe typing in their app name and a URL endpoint? If we can get there with these frameworks, then I think we're really starting to make noise in the community.
1: I absolutely agree, and that makes Ruby on Rails even more of a no-brainer. So getting that all integrated together would be absolutely huge. I love that idea. Okay, so you know I'm not going to let you leave, Joe, until we talk about the other thing that you're known for, which, of course, is Rails devs. So before we get into updates on Rails devs, I'm curious, how do you balance the two ideas that you're both known as the turbo native guy and then you're also known for Rails devs?
0: Yeah, it's a great question, and it's something that I'm trying to figure out still. Do I lean into one more than the other? Do I lean into Turbo Native that has supported me for a number of years as a solopreneur with consulting clients? Or do I lean into Rails devs, which is starting to become more of a way to support myself financially, but also is helping so many more individual developers versus just companies and teams? And there's a hard balance there to strike, especially when I do practically everything in public. The Rails Devs code base is open source. The Turbo Native curriculum will be open source by the time this airs outside of the actual code that we're writing. My website is open source. I talk all the time on Twitter about what I'm working on, the decisions that I'm making. I'm on podcasts like this talking about my business. I don't really have anything to hide. How do I balance two different identities that aren't conflicting, but don't exactly have the same goal at the end of the day? Yeah, they want to help Rails developers, But they are kind of tangential. You can be one without the other, and you can be both. So how I balance it is I follow my passion. If you look at my GitHub contributions, if you look at my Twitter, you can start to see phases where I go months talking about Turbo Native, very little Rails devs. And then I'll talk about Rails devs for a few months, and then I'll go back. That's not intentional. It's me following what I'm excited about. It's me following what I, again, am passionate about and where I can really give back to the community based on everything that's going on in the world, and mostly with my life. And when I do that, I know that I produce the best content. I do not produce good content when I'm like, well, gotta write the third blog post in the series today. No, that blog post can wait until I'm excited to write it, which is why my blog goes also in waves. (laughs) And I encourage anyone else who's trying to balance two identities or someone who's trying to figure out two different business models that maybe don't align perfectly together, follow your passion. And in my opinion, in my experience, the success from that will come.
1: That's such a smart way to look at it. And I honestly think, Joe, it probably keeps you from getting burned out just because you have those two identities and other things that you can do. And I know that you travel and just, I mean, it's really genuinely fun to watch you work in public. So I have to ask, what's the latest on Rails Devs?
0: So the latest on Rails Devs is that I just launched a referral program. This is really exciting because I'm working with just a few people now that are Rails developers that have a little bit of a network that they know folks that are hiring Rails developers. So what, how it works is they're getting a little unique referral code and anyone that they refer to Rails devs and signs up for an account, they're going to get a 10% revenue share. 10% revenue share is pretty awesome. You know, $2.99 a month, that's 30 bucks a month for anyone who's subscribed. But what's really exciting is if that business hires a developer, they're getting 10% of that hiring fee. So if a business hires a developer for 150 k they're getting 10% of a 10% hiring fee. That's $1,500 that's in their pocket for someone that they referred potentially a few months ago. This is like a, could be a substantial amount of money for someone who is looking to supplement their income or try something new. And I'm really excited for it. It will obviously help Rails devs grow. It will help more developers get hired because that business probably wouldn't have been on the platform without the referral. And I'm building it all in public. So I'm doing live streams for all of the code that touches this. I launched one on Twitter a few weeks ago. I'm hoping to do one in a few days and building out the entire referral program inside of Rails Devs, open source and live streaming the whole thing.
1: That's fantastic. What else is new?
0: This month, we broke $10,000 in contributions, which is crazy. So $10,000 had been given to female and non-binary led rails and ruby communities to stripe climate and to some open source contributions over the course of a year so really excited about that and 30 plus developers have officially been hired for a part-time or full-time job through rails devs as of this month
1: 30 plus i thought you were a two that is huge joe (laughs) yeah
0: 30 developers have gotten a job through rails devs it is crazy number some of those are full-time, like I said, some of them are part-time or freelance or contract. It's all the same to me, it's all great. It's still 30 developers whose lives I've changed.
1: How is it working on the Turbo Native Workshop? Are you able to kind of set Rails devs to just keep going or do you feel like you still need to be very active with it day to day?
0: I can let Rails devs simmer and really not do anything with it unless I get an inbound email that's asking for help or support, which is really nice. But if I don't talk about it online and I don't build in public or I don't add new features and people hear about it, it doesn't grow. So I'm happy to let it sit and let the couple of businesses that are working with me right now do their own thing, find developers, give them a hand in helping find their candidates. But if I'm not actively working on it and talking about it, it kind of stays stagnant, which is totally fine to go in ebbs and flows and waves with it because I can put some time into it, let it grow, get some more businesses hiring. And then let those businesses kind of work through the system, hire someone, graduate. And in that time, I can work on Turbo Native and then come back to Rails Devs when I'm excited about it again.
1: That's really
0: the perfect situation.
1: So Joe, anything else that you wanted to cover before we wrap up?
0: If you're interested in trying the referral program, send me a DM or a email. Link will be in the show notes for all of that. If you want to get involved, if you want to contribute to the code base, definitely let me know. And of course, check out TurboNativeWorkshop.com if you want to get involved in the January session, which I will be announcing very soon.
1: Wonderful. Joe, it is always so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much again for explaining out the workshop. We talk about on the show how important community content is. And you are one of those people out there who keep generating new content. So we appreciate everything that you do. And listeners, seriously consider taking that workshop. It's
0: going to be fantastic. Thanks so much, Brittany. I appreciate you having me. and congratulations on 52. That is so exciting. I'm glad you hit your goal, and I can't wait to hear about it all on Twitter. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review, and thank you for listening.